Man, it's good to see you this holiday weekend, especially our guests. I'm David. I'm the pastor. You're always welcome here. we got a lot of folks out today because of the holidays, traveling, and so we're glad you've come fill up some of those seats that got empty this week. So we're glad you're here. And, uh, you know, this is a special weekend because it's the weekend and tomorrow's the day that our nation has uh, rightfully chosen to honor those who have given their lives, those men and women who have given their lives for our freedom we, as followers of Christ, should thank the Lord for those sacrifices. And sometime today or tomorrow, you be sure to spend some time thanking Jesus for those, thanking the Lord for those who have given their lives for us and our freedom. Um, one of the great freedoms we have in our life is to, in our culture is to marry who we want to marry. And uh, I was reminded uh, of a story the other day. I came across it from a while back. But uh, a, a guy and a gal were uh, engaged, and they were going to fill out the paperwork for the marriage certificate, and they were in the courthouse area of the clerk's office filling it out, and the guy was just reading the questions out loud, and he came to the question that read, are you getting married of your own free will? And his fiance looked over at him and said, you need to answer yes, right there, right there. So we're in a series about marriage called I Do, it began in Genesis 2, uh, I Do for Life, and we said I do faithfully, I do, um, I do love you, and then today we bring it to a close in a very difficult passage. Uh, it's not that difficult, we make it difficult because we tend not to like passages like this. I Do for Family, Colossians chapter 3, and uh, this is what it says, beginning in verse 18, wives, here we go now, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered or frustrated against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well pleasing to the Lord. And fathers, do not exasperate your children so they will not lose heart. So as we bring this series to a close, here's the thing that I want you to see from the message today. I'm going to ask you a very simple question. What responsibilities and sacrifices are you willing to take upon yourself to guarantee a loving, peaceful, and healthy marriage. What sacrifices, what responsibilities are you going to say, I'm going to take these upon myself, and in doing so, I will have a great opportunity to have a marriage that is healthy, that is very peaceful, and that is loving. And so I want to begin today with the question that I get asked sometimes, especially by uh, younger couples about to get married or they're just started off in marriage, and it's this, how do we make marriages work? And, uh, you know, you go back, and I began this series in Genesis chapter 2. And here was Adam and Eve, and a man and a woman were to come together, and they were to be helpmates, they were to be companions, and they were to spend their life together. But sin enters the world and begins to mess things up. And so that Genesis 2 marriage is our ideal, but it's hard to achieve because of all the sin. And we talked about the need to be loving and the need to be faithful, but we you know, live in this 21st century. How, how do we get through all the sin and all of that stuff? How do we get to where we can have that marriage? And this passage today is one of those that helps us. Now, our problem is when we come to Colossians 3, or we come to like Ephesians chapter 5, which has the same basic information. And Paul wrote the, the book of Ephesians and Colossians from the same place at the same time. They were going in a very similar areas. And we come to 1 Peter 3, which says kind of the same stuff. And we, and we just look at that and we take it out of its world and we bring it to the 21st century. And it doesn't play well. It doesn't sound good. Wives, be submissive, be subject to your husbands. I mean, that, that just doesn't work in our culture. And that's because we don't understand the world in which they wrote it. And so we, we need to go back to that first century. And in that first century, you go into the Greco-Roman world, into that culture. You need to understand that families matter. But what mattered in a family was stability 
What mattered in the family was order, that there not be chaos, that there not be anything unruly. And so it wasn't love that drove a family dynamic. It was stability. And it was to some degree power. And the power in that culture was with the husband, was with the father, was with the man. And they had this, this, this concept that was, was called the power of the father. And, and what it meant was this, that the man is the head of all of his household, whatever that involved. He had absolute sway over what happened. For instance, his children, when his children were born, he could determine whether they lived or died. If he did not want a particular child, he did not want a daughter, or maybe the child had something wrong with him or her, he would, might oftentimes have him, the child what we call exposed, put out in the elements to die. Or if someone wanted to come along and adopt it, fine. But the child would be left out into the elements in a designated place, and either it would die of starvation or the cold or heat or an animal would come and get it. And here's the thing. The wife had absolutely no say in that, none. She could beg, she could plead, she could ask. It wasn't her call. In fact, the father could put his children to death as long as they lived in his household and any time he thought that they were disrespectful or that they were disobedient. The father could sell his children into slavery. He could beat his children, and the wife couldn't do anything about it. And not only that, but he had that kind of really control over his wife. Now, he wouldn't necessarily put his wife to death, but he could sell his wife into slavery. She had no say in it. If she displeased him, he could beat her, and she had no recourse. She could, he could divorce her and put her out on the street. And there was really nothing she could do about it. And while it was better in Jewish life... Because of the more loving environment in a Jewish home, and they would certainly not, you know, beat his wife, and, and, and they wouldn't, you know, sell him into slavery or the children, still women were at a disadvantage. We might say, well, why wasn't, you know, there women's liberation, or why wasn't there some feminists, or why didn't somebody do anything? And that's because Christianity hadn't taken hold of the world yet. Because liberation, feminism, the idea that women are equal to men, comes from Christianity. You may not realize that. The world doesn't want to tell you that. But that's the truth. And Christianity wasn't there yet. And so Jesus comes into this world. And Jesus comes, and he comes, you know, to the Jewish people, obviously. And, and it later it will spread to the Gentiles, but he comes really to the Jews. And he brings this unbelievable message that elevates women to equality with men. And he talks about how any of us can come to faith. And he heals women. And he talks to women. And women follow him. And women love him, and they serve him. And when he was dead, it was women who went to the tomb to anoint his body. And when they found the tomb empty, the first people to find it were women. And it was a woman, Mary Magdalene, who was the first person to see Jesus raised from the dead. That's amazing. And he elevated the role of women. But you know what Jesus never did for women? He never liberated them. He didn't. He didn't change the social codes. In fact, Jesus never got involved in social issues at all. Today we constantly read about social issues, about, you know, Jesus did this and Jesus did that. Someone the other day was, was talking about how Jesus, you know, we, he fed the poor and took care of the hungry. And like, no, he didn't. I've read the New Testament a bunch. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he didn't do that. He fed 5,000 people one time and 4,000 people another time. He fed them because they came to hearing, they had nothing to eat, and they were hungry. He said, the poor you will always have with you. Jesus didn't do anything. And then Jesus ascends into heaven, and Christianity begins spreading throughout the Gentile world, first because of Peter, then because of Paul. And Paul took the gospel to all these pagan places, and pagans would come and renounce their religion and come be followers of Jesus. And women did it far more than men. 
Because in Christianity, they found that their life could have meaning and purpose. And so women would leave paganism. Now, they, they were still obligated to follow the religion of their husband, but they did that in the name only anyways, oftentimes. They could go now, and they could go find this other religion about this guy, Jesus. And they were elevated, and they could go to a worship service. They could go to a Bible study, and they could raise their hands and ask questions. And it was okay. Some of them actually began to teach. And when women began to teach men, it caused an uproar, not in the church, but in the pagan culture. And so Paul had to come back and say, hey, 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 let's, let's hold it down. In 1 Timothy, eh, let's, let's don't get carried away with women teaching men. Let's don't do that. Why? Because Paul was a misogynist? No, because it was so upsetting to the culture that they were looking down on Christianity so much. And that some people may not come to follow Christ because of the social upheaval. Women did phenomenal things in the name of Jesus. There was a church that met at the home of Lydia and Philippi. In Romans 16, we're told this woman, Phoebe, who was on a message for Paul, a mission for Paul, Phoebe is the only person really ever labeled by the title deacon in all the scriptures. It's a woman named Phoebe. It's amazing. Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla, the woman's name first, they were helpful of Paul. Her servants of Paul helped him. She had the prominent role. In Colossians 4.15, it tells us there was a woman named Nympha, and the church met in her home. I mean, Christianity elevated the role of women, but you know what Paul didn't do? He didn't liberate them. He didn't end all the things that were going on, but he did do something. He did comment about the family. And in 60 AD, Paul is in prison in Rome. Uh, and and uh, he writes to some churches. He writes to several. He, but he writes to the church at Ephesus, and he writes to the church at Colossae. And in both of those books, in Ephesians chapter 5, Colossians chapter 3, he talks about the home. And, and those two cities were real close to each other. A few years later, Peter, in First Peter, writing to the same general area, talks about family life as well. And by the way, next week I start a summer series on First Peter. And one of the things they do is they want to be sure to establish in the home what needs to happen. And so in Colossians chapter 3, Paul does this. He starts talking about what it means to be in Christ. And then in Colossians 3.12, this is what Paul writes. This is amazing. Paul says to these pagans, former pagans, these Gentiles, since God chose you to be holy people, he loves. By the way, in paganism, the pagan gods never love the people. And here he says, God loves you. You must clothe yourself with what? Mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Then he says this, make allowance for each other's faults. This is radical. Forgive anyone who offends you. Oh, wow. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love. That's love for one another, which binds us. Love binds us together in perfect harmony. It's love that binds us together. And let the peace that comes from Christ, the peace that comes from Christ, what? Rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. He wrote that. And then a couple of verses later, he says this. With all this in mind, that we are to love one another because of God's love for us, that we're to forgive, that we're to live in peace with one another, he said, wives, be subject to your husbands. And we say, oh, I don't like that. And our culture hates that. Be subject, be submissive. Pick another word, pick a synonym if you don't like that word. How about give in to? How about yield? How about defer? It means the same thing. Wives, defer to your husband. Now, we're shocked at that. It offends our culture. I got news for you. Back then, 
that was powerful. Of course, they expected nothing less. Of course, they were going to submit to their husbands. Even as Christians, they would submit to their husbands. What choice did they have? In the Christian family, the husband was going to be gentle, tenderhearted, merciful, loving anyways. If she was married to a pagan, if she didn't submit to him, he could make her a slave. He could divorce her. He could beat her. Well, of course she was going to submit to him. You know what's radical? Not that she had to submit, but the motivation behind it. What did Paul say? He says, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. What was radical was not the submission. What was radical was the reason. Because you are in the Lord. You're a follower of Christ. You're not submitting because society dictates it. You're submitting because you love and follow Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, Why submit yourself to your husbands and to the Lord? Only in the Greek language, the word submit's not even there. In the Greek, when you translate it literally from the Greek to the English, it says, wives to your husbands is to the Lord. Where do we get the word submit from? Verse 21. Ephesians 5, 21 is talking to the whole Christian church. It says, submit yourselves to one another. I'm to submit to you. You're to submit to me. This section submits to that section. That section submits to this section. I mean, submit to one another. And oh, but wives, by the way, for the sake of your family, to your husbands is to the Lord. In Peter, 1 Peter 3, 1 says, Submit to your husbands so that you might win them over by your good works. In other words, you, you wives have husbands who are still pagans. If you submit to them, they may become followers of Christ because of your goodness. It's an amazing thing. You say, but David, wait, wait, wait. I mean, these pagan wives, these, these, these Gentile wives, what if, and this would happen, their husbands say, you, you've got, I'm going to worship at the temple tomorrow, you're coming with me to my pagan worship service, because that was expected. Well, surely they didn't have to go. In fact, I've heard that said now. If it was a, mal, a matter of conscience or a matter of, you know, that, of doing something that, that might offend God, they didn't have to do it. Well, Paul, Paul didn't say that. He says, submit. Here's the thing. If they didn't go for their husbands, their husbands could sell them into slavery, divorce them, and beat them. Paul and Peter couldn't help them. And so here's the thing. Paganism isn't real anyways. And wives would oftentimes go with their husbands and just sit there and do nothing. Paul just said, look, Peter said, if you want to win them over, Paul says, if you're in the Lord, do this. Just submit to your husband. But just go. You're not really worshiping. I mean, this, is, this is a different way of thinking because it's saying you're not doing it for any other reason. Then you follow Christ. But the radical part still hadn't come yet. The radical part is in verse 19. When he said husbands, and oh, there was always obligations to the husbands. You know, provide for your family, ensure the family doesn't have chaos, give order and stability. Paul didn't say that. He said this, husbands, here's what I want you to do. Love your wives and don't get frustrated with them. Love your wife. That, what, what are you talking about? That was the radical part. And the word love isn't the Greek word eros, which is, you know, the erotic love or, you know, sexual love or all that, or falling in love. It's the word agape. You know, in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, it's the idea of a sacrificial love. You sacrifice. In fact, this is what he says in Ephesians five twenty five: Love your wife as Christ loved the church. And what did Christ do for the church? Paul says this, he gave his life, he sacrificed his life for the church. You know how much you guys are supposed to love your wife? You sacrifice everything for them. That was radical. 
that's the part that changed. Now he goes on and he talks about children, obeying your parents. And since I'm not talking about family life and raising kids, so I'm not going to go into that. But you know, I remember trying to find out what does obey really mean. So let me tell you what obey means. It's an interesting concept, and sometimes people don't get this. So kids, here's what obey means. It means to do exactly what your parents tell you every time they tell you. Maybe that's clearer. I don't know. Quote me on it. But the real radical thing wasn't that. The radical thing was this. When Paul says, hey, you dads out there, don't exasperate your children. Don't don't provoke them to anger so that they will lose heart. That was the crazy thing. What was expected of the father? And so here's all of this stuff. And we're focused on the marriage part, so we won't focus on that. But here's the thing. How do we make marriages work? Well, here's how. Marriages work when we put our own interest aside. And we take the interest and the cares of our spouse and our children. And we put them first. In other words, we follow the example of Jesus. Here you know how to make a marriage work. Here's what you do. You take all your interests that you have, all your concerns, all the things you want, and you lay them over here. And you go find your spouse, and you go find your kids, and you take all the cares they have, and all the interests they have, and all the concerns they have, and you take them, and you put them front and center in your life. That's how you make a marriage work. Which brings us then to how this whole series started. Getting back to Genesis 2. For Genesis 2 says, a man and woman spend their life together. They're companions. They complement each other. And they're of one flesh and it never separates. In fact, in Ephesians 5, Paul even quotes that part. But we live in a sinful world. How does that happen? And here's the thing. Paul, Paul didn't write this for the world as Christians, we try to take this stuff. We try to take here in, Genesis, in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 and over in 1 Peter 3. And we try to give that and we try to cram that down the throat of the world. And the world spits it back out because it's not written for them. It's written for Christians. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, you're off the hook basically on this. Now, your marriage will probably stink anyways, but you're off the hook. You might want to try this because it will still work. Here's the thing. It's easier to submit or defer to your husband, if you want to use that word, if you first submit to Christ. Did you know that? It's easier to love your wife if you first love the Lord. And guys, you're not, this isn't for you to go say, hey, wives, you need to submit to me. Because it's not written for you. It's written for them to do. And, and, and we've been married almost 37 years. And I've never told Debbie she had to submit to me but one time. One time. And I learned, this is what I learned in that one time. I learned how fast a frying pan flies through the air. And that it hurts. And then it repeatedly hurts every time you keep getting hit by it when you're on the ground. So I just made this decision. That was not a good strategy for me to ever do. So here's the thing. This is not a formula. I wish I could say, here's three or four steps you need to take to make this work. It doesn't do that. So I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions. And I'm going to make a statement at the end to kind of bring this thing to a close. So here's the first couple of questions I want to ask you. What does, wives, what does submission look like? And husbands, what does love look like? You've got to answer that. I can't tell you what it looks like. Because all of your relationships are unique. Some of you are single and say, well, I don't know. Well, when, before you get married, you need to figure this out. Every marriage is unique. It is not about equality. It is Paul, Paul the misogynist, who wrote that there's no difference between male or female. Paul's the one that elevated women. Paul. Jesus first, then Paul. Jesus did it. Paul wrote about it. It's not about who's smarter. 
who makes more money. It's about how do you lay aside your interest to take the interest of someone else upon you. So, you know, for Debbie and I, back in 1992, um, I was on staff at, at my home church, Park Hills Baptist. I had started off as a youth minister somewhere, and then I was pastoring a small church. <clears throat> and in 86, I left that pastorate to go to the big church, Park Hills, my home church, to a big church, to be the associate. And so in 92, I was ready to go back to pastoring. And so I began sending my resume out. And I had my mentor at the time was in a, a church in an area, and I asked him to send it to First Baptist Laredo. First Baptist Laredo looked like a great opportunity. Now, I knew Debbie had spent part of her life in Laredo, and she grew up some there. Her sister was born there. So once the resume was sent, I said, hey, Debbie, I had done send my resume to FBC Laredo. And she says, go have him get it back because I ain't going to Laredo. I said, I, I get that. And she says, I'm not going. I said, I understand. I said, you know, it, it, the prob- they're going to have hundreds of resumes. They're, they're not going to talk to me. It's just there. And, you know, <laughs> they had 400 resumes sent to that church, and mine went straight to the top. And so they called me up and said, hey, we want to come hear you preach there at Park Hills if they'll let you preach. And we want to come talk to you. Is that okay? Let's get a, let's get a date set. And I'm like, let me talk to my wife. And so I go to her and say, listen, Park Hill, I mean, uh, Laredo wants to talk to me. But here's the deal. If you don't want to go, we're not going to go. And she said, if the Lord calls you to go to First Laredo, I'm going to follow you there. So here's the thing. We both put aside our interests for the interest of the other. And so first Laredo came to hear me preach. And we had lunch. And we had this meeting that kept going on and on. And it was so good that when they left, Debbie said, if they don't call you as pastor, that's crazy. I mean, I was like, yeah, and they did. And so this, this is the thing. For God to bless that, I had to take what I wanted and I had to set it aside. And she had to take what she wanted and she had to set it aside. And that's how that works for us. And I don't know how it works for you. But here's the thing I know is this. Do you want a life where you always fight to get what you want? Or do you want a life where your home is loving, supportive, and peaceful? Because you can't have both. There are some people who are like, man, I want what I want. I want my rights. I'm going to fight to get it. Fine. And you're going to have a miserable home life. It doesn't work that way. And so this is the thing. People say, but David, you don't understand. My husband, he makes bad financial decisions. He's cost us money. He won't listen to me. He won't listen to me if he just let me take over the finances. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. But here's the thing. Go talk to your husband. See if I can kind of work through this. But in the end, what would you rather have? Would you have a little bit, rather have a little bit more money and you have your husband frustrated and bittered because you totally... Cast him to the side. Or would you rather have a little bit less money and a peaceful home life? What do you want? And guys say, you know, David, my wife, she's just not raising the kids the way I want. I told her this is what my mom and dad did, and she won't, she won't do it the way my mom did it, and my mom was so great. And so, hey, wait, wait, hey, here's the thing. Your mom probably wasn't as great as you think she is because of the way you turned out, you know. And, and your dad probably thought there were times that he wished your mom was like his mom. And, and you have this, guys, we have this idealized version of our mothers and how they are. And, and here's the thing. Would, would you rather have your wife just become embittered trying to do everything the way you say she has to do it because it's how your mom did it? Or would you rather just let some things slide and have a nice, peaceful house? What do you want? 
Some of you, you would say, you know, my, my spouse isn't a Christian. It's hard. I, I get that. Was, were they a Christian? I mean, when you two got married, were you both Christians and you came to faith later? Because if you did, you changed, you changed the nature of your relationship. So, you know, what does it look like for you to love your spouse or, or to defer to your spouse? Because you've got to figure that part out. So you say, when we got married, we were involved in church, and we were both actively following Christ, and now my spouse isn't doing that. Okay, I know you need to go talk to your spouse, but here, here's the thing. What does it look like for you? And think about what Peter said in, in, in chapter 3, verse 1 of 1 Peter. You know, submit, you know, because you may win them over. What do you need to do to win your spouse over? See, we live in a culture that doesn't like all this. We live in a culture that rejects all this. I get that all the time. But here's the thing. I just come to this point in my life. Maybe it was after the frying pan incident, I don't know. But I came to this point in my life. I don't care what the culture thinks or says. I am a follower of Christ. And because I'm a follower of Christ, I'm going to listen to what Paul says. Because I know that's the only way my marriage will work. And what did Paul tell me to do? He said, love your wife. Just love her. And don't get frustrated with her. So I go back to the very, very beginning of what I said in this message. What responsibilities, what sacrifices do I have to take upon myself in order that my marriage will be Happy, peaceful, healthy, supportive, loving. Well, one of the things that I have to do is I have to take all my interests in as best I can, and I fail. I, get, I, I don't do this all the time. I fail, but I've got to take them, and I've got to put them aside. And I've got to take my wife's interests, and I've got to put them front and center. And even if they frustrate me sometimes, even if I don't understand it sometimes, I'm just going to take those and I'm going to put them first. And I'm going to love her no matter what. Because I want my marriage to be successful. And the culture isn't ever going to help me make my marriage successful. So if I want to get back to Genesis 2, and there's all this sin that keeps me from there, how do I get back to what Genesis 2 wants for me? I come to Colossians 3. I come to Ephesians 5. I come to 1 Peter 3, and I come there, and here's what it says, in essence. Take your interest and put them aside. And take the interest of your wife, put them first. And you will have a marriage that's loving, successful, healthy, peaceful. Some of you guys need to do that today, don't you? You need to quit putting yourself first. And you need to love your wife no matter what. And quit getting so frustrated. Love her no matter what. And so maybe you just need to come today and, you know, we're going to have some ministers up here. Maybe you just need to say, you know what, I need to do a better job of loving my wife. And it's hard because I have all these things that I really want and expect to happen. And you just need to say, I'm going to put all that aside and pray for me to help me love my wife. And some of you wives out there, listen, <laughs> I know you don't want to hear that, but maybe what you need to do is just kind of defer or submit to your husband. Not because he's smarter or not because you're not equal to him, but because that's what the Lord wants you to do. And if you want your marriage, listen, if you want your marriage 
to be peaceful and loving. And maybe you just need to take all those things that you have that get in the way, and you just need to lay those to the side. And we'll have a couple of women up here also, because it's, it's easier for you to probably pray with another woman. So we'll have a couple of women here, and if you want to just pray with them, and say, just pray with me that, that I, can, I can find a way to do that, even without using the word submit. You don't have to use it. But I can just find a way to, to defer to my husband. Because I'm in the Lord, and it's, and it's tough, but I need to do that. Some of you are single. And you say, well, this doesn't apply to me. But yeah, it does. You, you get a head start. You can start thinking about this now. How are you going to make this work? Because you need to. If you have a spouse that's not a follower of Jesus, just remember what Peter said. You might win them over. You might just win them over. So do this. Take your interest and put them aside. And put your unbelieving spouse's interest first. And love him, because that's what the Lord wants you to do. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, this would be very difficult for you, I, I realize. But you need, may need to become a believer. And I haven't talked about following Christ, but if you need to give your life to Jesus, there'll be people here to do that. After the service, it could be one of the pastors will be out at the table over in the corner just outside and around the door. And you can come talk to one of this us. Because here's the thing. Whatever else you need to do today, you need to think about your family. Your family. You want to have peace. You want to have love then you need to take upon yourself responsibilities and sacrifices and put all your interests aside. You need to do that for your family. So Lord, we thank you for a passage that's kind of hard sometimes for us to relate to and hard for us to understand, even harder for us to live by, and yet it's there. And as a follower of Jesus, I want to do that. I want to love my wife no matter what. Because that's what, God, you call me to do. I want to get back to Genesis 2. And I want to get past all the sin that messes that up. And to get past all that sin, then I need to take my interest and lay them aside. And take my wife's interest and put them first. So all of us, Father, need to figure out how we do that. All of us... Married or single, we still need to figure out how to make this work. So God, speak to us in only how you can. Work in our midst is only you can do. So that, Father, we can say this. When all is said and done, I do. I do for my family. God, I do. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? We'll be here up at the front if you want to come, talk or pray. You come.